We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. I'm very excited for this one because both myself and Nick have had the chance to rewatch this Giants-Jets third preseason game. I just had a chance tonight, actually, right before this podcast. It's been a busy weekend. Saw one of my best friends from college get married. It was an incredible time. To be honest and completely fair with you guys, I needed a lot of Pedialyte this morning just to feel normal. Nick, how you doing today? Doing doing much better. Not in need of Pedialyte. I haven't left the office that much. A lot of game tape, a lot of stuff to get through. And uh, it's been great. It's been awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great rewatching this game. I was really excited about it after it. I know there were some people who, who said, you know, the Giants offense was, I saw two comments where the headline was the Giants offense was stagnant. And I just really didn't understand what they were watching because I saw the, I saw the passing game move the ball up and down the field for a buck 88 in one half of football. I saw two drops on third downs by a wide receiver who's never going to get a snap during the regular season. So injuries to Ingram and Ellison where Jarrell Adams and Scott Simonson had to come in the game for the second you know, for the second two drives. I get it. They didn't score in the red zone by a Stewart fumble. Another was ended by the sharp drop on third and seven, which it was a great design of a, you know, it was a great actual route design where he was wide open underneath. And if that's Odell Beckham Jr. or Sterling Shepard, there's a ton of room. And when he, at the drop point, there was a ton of space between him and the linebacker. I think that Beckham houses it. Shepard gets a ton after the cat. And then there's that third drop uh, that killed the drive earlier in the game, the other Sharp drop where, you know, it was also a really good design there. Sharp was lined up as the outside receiver and trips left, and he just kind of jetted towards, the, I don't know what you call it, you can tell me, Nick, but he kind of just ran a quick, wasn't even out, it was it was just like a quick dart towards the sideline, towards the third down marker, and Eli Manning hit him. It wasn't the, a perfect throw, but it hit him right in the hand. So, to me, I think that with the, with considering who was on the field and how, and how easily the Giants passing game moved the football, I thought the offense was far from stagnant. What did you think overall about the offensive effort? You know, initial uh, initial impressions. Yeah, I think they they moved the ball well. You know, you saw Eli, you know, using some mobility to make some throws too, which was kind of cool, and definitely was able to uh, to to hit to hit some real. The deep balls were interesting. I don't think they were perfect, but I think they showed that he's got wide receivers that can make adjustments on the ball and really get after it. I think that they got an offensive line that is, in my opinion, much better than what people are really saying um, in terms of their performance, their actual performance. And yes, it is the preseason, but it's not nearly as bad as people would make it out to be. And I think right. the I think the running game too, uh, you know, um, we can get we're getting into all this. It's just me giving the initial thoughts. I really liked um, I really like Presley. 
uh, you know, for as a number two, three guy. And so that was kind of crazy to come out of almost nowhere. No offense to him, but I, I had not heard of him before. You know, I watched this recent tape. And, uh, you know, so that was that was a good sign. And knowing that there's depth at spots that maybe we didn't know so much before. Um, so, so good stuff. And, yeah, not perfect, but but all in all, a good, uh, you know, good effort moving in the right direction. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that. And, again, guys, this is there's a lot to cover from this game. So we're actually going to keep this kind of free-flowing like this because – helps is it's i think it's a it's a kind of natural way to transition into stuff and maybe we plan on getting on presley a little bit later but i feel the same way as nick he was extremely impressive and probably the only running back who was able to find ground uh behind the giants blocking because uh, i agree with you nick i think the pass blocking is a lot better than people are expecting i think a lot of it also has to do with the scheme which we'll get to uh to uh, soon because i thought i saw some interesting things there that i noted but uh i you know the problem with with presley and and is this he, you know, okay? So the guy runs a four four uh, at his pro day. He's got a lot of speed, but he's also, like you said, we saw a lot of just actual really good vision cuts running. That wasn't just a pure speed guy. But now the problem is this: he signs this late into training camp, just picking up the playbook, and they used him pretty much on only run plays. So they didn't really put him in pass protection. And while everybody wants the Giants to cut Jonathan Stewart, and you know, like I even tweeted after the game, Presley definitely looked like he had more juice than Stewart as a runner. The problem is, can, can the Giants ever really trust Presley to get on the field with Eli Manning and understand his pass protections or even, you know, execute his pass protections, let alone know the pass protection schemes and what Eli's checks and audibles and calls are, you know, before the snap. And I'm just not sure that the Giants will be able to figure that out with two weeks remaining. And, you know, the thing working in Presley's favor is the fact that uh, Robert Martin's dealing with a, a minor injury and same thing with Jalen Simmons, although Jalen Simmons did returned to practice today so he had a concussion from uh the second season game but you know the problem is this they paid out most of that stewart signing bonus almost all that money is already against the cap uh they they saved seven hundred twenty five thousand by cutting him now but you know you have to make the decision is he worth seven hundred twenty five thousand because the rest of the money is already hit the cap and i think that stewart personally is worth seven hundred twenty five k against the cap and I, I know it sucks to hear from somebody like presley but i just don't trust a player like that. I'm not sure I trust Simmons or Martin either in, in a key pass protection situation. Should that should that need arise? Um, now that doesn't mean he can't beat out Martin or Simmons for that for that fourth fourth running back job. But what, what do you think that 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 uh, Presley would need to do in the sports preseason game, kind of to, to earn that role? Because I'm pretty sure we're not going to see much of Gallman, Stewart, or Barkley in that fourth preseason game. Yeah, I think it's kind of to keep on doing what he was doing because, like you said, it's the sample size is so small. So, like, we saw good things. But, so what are the good things we want to see more of as well as the, th- the things that you're talking about that he has not been exposed to? But just starting with the good first, you know, he's super decisive in the hole, likes to get north, like to see really good finishing, always falling forward, likes churning, good pad level. He plays bigger than his size. He looks like he's 215 on tape. I don't yeah. know if you noticed that. He's like only 195. Um, he And he wants to get north. I think on the flip side, that's kind of maybe a little bit of his weaknesses. He's just, a, not just, but he, he, he doesn't have a ton of jukes in space or in small spaces for that matter. And I did see his vision warmed up. Which I think what I, is the biggest thing that I want to see, and you brought it up because you liked it. You're talking about the longer run where he broke to his left on a uh, yeah. in, inside zone flowback, which is cool. But I need to see him doing that earlier because in the first few snaps, it was kind of like blinders on. He's going forward without a ton of patience, and the patience yeah. part is gonna be a schematic re- um, restriction because I didn't like him in, in zone runs where you need that patience. He doesn't have he didn't, or he didn't display that yet. So we need to see that. And on top of that. Your bigger questions, which are, you know, in the pass pro side of things, the only thing I will say that, again, we don't have the tape yet, so this is a key part for evaluation, but he is not a stranger to physicality, so I'm betting he'll be willing to throw himself in front of the block. Does he have the technique to do that, and more importantly, the mental processing to get there? Maybe not, and that's, again, something to look for, but I wouldn't throw it out yet because he's bounced around a few teams, and it probably tells me, obviously, there's reasons for that, but it also tells me he's probably he, he probably knows what to do in the in the situation, um, and so we'll see. We will absolutely see. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, uh, Gerald Presley, too, because it kind of we're not going to dive too much into Kyle Oletta on this podcast. I know you guys know we're, we're pretty big fans of Oletta here, but, you know, he really didn't get a chance to do much. The Giants kind of just iced the game out and pretty much ran the clock out in the fourth quarter behind uh, Gerald Presley and really didn't give Oletta too many shots. You know, he missed that one pass, uh, I believe it was down the left sideline. But 
aside from that, he really didn't have too many too many chances, I didn't think. So hopefully we'll see a little bit more of Laletta in that fourth preseason game. I don't expect Eli Manning to play. I mean, I really wouldn't expect much from from most of the starters, I would say, in that game. Uh, but as speaking of the starters, obviously we're not only going to touch on the good, we're going to touch on the bad, or at least what some people perceive to be bad, and that would be Patrick Omeme, the the second, uh, you know, the free agent acquisition, three years, $15 million, hefty contract, starting right guard, big man, 325 pounds. I've, I've seen him after practice. I had a chance to talk to him one of the days. He is a big guy, so he definitely has the build for it. Um, but, he, you know, he drew a lot of ire after the game because, you know, people, he didn't pass the eye test for most people, and then things got even worse, at least on social media, when uh, the grades came out from pro football focus. Um, and, you know, they, they gave him one of the worst grades of any guard that week. So I, from my vantage point, when I rewatched the game, I did see a couple plays. I really only saw two plays that I that, that, that um, concerned me. The first one was really the second play of the game, or the first play of the game, I'm sorry. It was a run to Jonathan Stewart for no gain, and he got he got knocked down on the play. But I think, Nick, you, you had a different viewpoint on that play if you wanted to jump into it. Yeah, well, um, on that one specifically, actually kind of in line just with the theme of the balance through contact, which is an issue for him um, across the board. He fell down there. He's, he fell down, I think, one or at least one other point during the game. Uh, so, yeah. And what you see there, he's they're, they're running split zone right, so he's on the play side um, of, of basically a base block. I believe that was against the three-tech. And, you know, when he's kind of – when he's moving forward, he he leans forward a little bit. And guys take advantage of him. Um, specifically, Ricky Seals-Jones actually in the previous game took advantage of him a little bit more um, with that. So, again, a downside to him certainly. Um, should I go in more more into what I'm seeing or, or do we want to – Well, yeah, let's – let's well, I'll just talk about the other play real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That concerned me. And that was uh, – the Giants ran a couple. What I found really interesting about this game, I said this about the first game. I'm going to do something on Twitter about this, but just another example of this game of Pat Shermer really varying not only his personnel but his formation. So we finally saw the addition of the pistol formation in the offense. Yep. He hit one big, big play off the pistol, off the play action power pistol with Ingram motion into the backfield is almost like an H back fullback. That was awesome. But then on the other play, out of just traditional pistol with with um, you know 11 personnel, I believe it was. They ran the pistol, hand off to Wayne Gallman, and this is kind of the play that everybody got on Omeme for, where he, you know, he missed the block per se, and the defender shot in the nose tap, I believe it was, the one tech shot into the into the backfield for a five yard loss to Gallman. But my whole point with this, and you'll dive into this too, is that I'm not totally willing to blame Omeme for this. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I should say if if the, if if the defender doesn't get into the backfield and take him out for a five yard loss, when you rewatch the play, there's nothing there on the outside. This is going to be a one-yard loss or a zero-yard gain, if, even if that defender doesn't get there. But then when I talked to you, you brought up an interesting point why, you know what, maybe that may look to the PFF graders or to anybody like that's Omeme's fault, but you brought up a point why that might not be and why we also might not see a play like this in the regular season. So I, I would I would, I would, say jump into that. Yeah, definitely. So um, so that one is obviously, like you said, like Dan said, it's one of the, one of the issues, one of the problems, right? Five-yard loss is not good. So he's a right guard, and they're asking him, the player who shot the gap, number 92, I don't know, his, it's Williams, right, for, uh, for the yep. Jets made the stop. Um, so he's a one-tech playing in the on the opposite side of the center to Omeme. So Omeme is a right guard. So you're asking a guy who's 324 pounds to come across in a reach block. So he's a backside reach block because it's outside zone to the left. So the play is going to the left. I mean, Omeme is on the right, cutting off the backside. And you're asking him to, to block a one-tech on the opposite side of the center who's just shooting it and going straight forward. And the one thing I was saying is that's just that's a really tough assignment. Um, I would go as far as to say, and not to knock Jalapio, but I bet if Jalapio would may have issues even turning him, you know, like the guy's going straight forward. So I bet you Jalapio would have lost ground to that type of one tech shooting the gap in that way. So it's just, it's a tougher assignment. And yeah, he, he doesn't have the speed to the left side. And one of the things that I was saying too, is like they're running outside zone into the boundary, which means they're on the left hash. And the play's going to the left. And again, it's the NFL, so it does make such a big difference as it does in college. But it still does in terms of spacing. And that play needs to turn north a lot quicker than, than a play on the other side of the boundary or the other side of the hash. And so 
you know, it, it, it's almost like, in my opinion, I think Pat Shermer and the offensive line, uh, offensive line coach, Hunter, I think they're testing their offensive line to see if they can do things from maybe not so easy positions uh, in some cases. And specifically, we know that we have a guy, Omeme, who is go- moving from the left side to his right. And yes, it's not impossible, but I think Jeff Schwartz said this actually. It's like wiping your ass with your other hand. And so it's doable, but like you still have to work through a couple things. And I think this is part of it. You're looking at a, a tough reach block for him to make. He's a guy is a bigger guy it's not going to be his go-to you know you're going to see issues when you have really good professionals that are quick <laughs> real good real good d linemen getting off the line quick so again absolutely gave him a poor grade for that play specifically but just not going to really think about you know that as like the the, the end-all be-all for him um right. and to kind of go forward on it it was like you know i kind of was curious as always like you want to trust but verify when you see these these rankings a little bit and that num- those numbers were or not just the numbers forget the numbers for a second you know as well there was like he was kind of written off in the fir- in the first quarter on twitter you know that like it was kind of all over and we needed another right side of the line so i actually wow. went i actually went through 34 um all 34 of his snaps and i basically had it was to his 10 passes 20 uh 10 passes 24 sorry 10 runs 24 passes um yeah. i was i graded him on a scale of one to seven um one being pretty poor seven being elite and not many people hit sevens i had him at a run grade of 3.7 i had him at a pass grade of 4.125 and i get why people want to say that number those numbers aren't great but i'm projecting him to be a average to solid right guard and that's not what many people thought <laughs> on Twitter and so I get it how you're not going to have a guy that can that can be super versatile you're not going to have a guy that can basically maul guys at the same time you know but his strengths though what I saw in this game this is not just me just you know talking about previous tape solid to good get off really good stance with good bend he's the power to move most defensive linemen travels well the second level he had a couple tough angle blocks at the second level with good footwork where like I I, again, for a big guy, he actually moved pretty well. He moved better as the game got along, too, right. which is interesting. The whole offensive line did that, too, as well. Um, what I like him in pass pro is a real good jump setter. Jump setter means you're going forward, you're going at the guy. He did lose last week to Ricky uh, Ricky Seal, Ricky, I forget the guy's name, anyway, the defensive tackle, um, on a jump set specifically. But most of the time, if he he's the type of guy, if he gets your, his hands on you, it's going to be hard for you to get any momentum downhill. On top of that, he actually did. He had some pretty good angle sets, and the one uh, one issue that he had was the speed rush to the three tech, and that three tech was number ninety six on the Jets. I'm not familiar with him. He's, he played a really good game though, um, and so he his weakness is speed to the three tech defensive tackle, and you know the David Irvings of the world and among the Cowboys, yeah, that that could be a problem for him, but. For the uh, for the most part, against most competition, I think he's going to be very. I think he's going to be very fine to very good. Right, and then also, I mean, even, even right there, you got to take away positives on Patrick Omeni because as Nick just broke down, in a game where a lot of people bashed him for, maybe not his best game, he still earned average grades from Nick. And remember, guys, this is the preseason, so Giants are testing things out. Now the Giants can look at the tape, see that he can't make that block against that one technique shooting on that outside zone, and they can adjust because that's exactly what Pat Shermer's proven. He's he's the type of coach who proves that that. He said it from the start, guys, and everything he's shown so far has really lived up to it. When Shermer said, I'm going to coach this team around the strengths of the players. I don't have a rigid system. This is not, you know, I mean, he didn't say this is not the Ben McAdoo system, but I'm telling you, this is not the old Ben McAdoo days of you got to fit into my system regardless of what it is. And so I think he's going to curtail the blocking around the strengths of his offensive line, and I don't think we're going to have to see a man or make too many more of those, uh, be forced into making too many more of those blocks. But I did also want to dive into some of the plays you broke down on Twitter and then some of the plays on offense that really stood out to me. But before we got there, I wanted to quickly get your take um, from the watch and then the rewatch on quarterback Eli Manning after I deliver mine real quick just because I want yeah. to see where we stand on that and if we're on the same page on that. Like um, it. So for me, uh, after watching the first time and then rewatching it today, so we're talking about he had six incomplete passes. Two were legit drops. So there's no other way around that they were Double drops by Hunter Sharp, who won't be on the field. Um, there was the Ingram uh, corner route, I believe it was. Is that what it, I, I don't know? It's either the corner, I believe it's a, just a quick corner. It's like a quick out route. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ball, you know, if he that's a bad ball by Eli. He put it a little ahead of him. If he hits him there, based on how that route was designed, which I thought was great, which I'll get into, I can dive into it now. And what I love yeah. about that route is it was basically trips, trips right. Um, Three uh, trips right, exactly. So, and then Shepard was 
essentially they were they were lined up in line with each other, and Shepard was just off the line of scrimmage in the slot. Um, something I've also noticed more from Shermer, a little less in line with Ingram uh, on the on the when he's in on eleven personnel and he's in the slot more. And then kind of the two receivers just ran quick stop routes because based on you know the formation the Giants had there and based on the down and distance. They, Eli saw that the safety was creeping up in the box and there was no safety over the top. There was a cornerback who was deep in cover who was kind of playing like eight yards off the ball um, across from the far receiver, the flanker. And so basically once the flanker stopped, the corner came up and Ingram was left one-on-one in man coverage with Darren Lee and he totally beat Darren Lee with an awesome move right off, right off the line of scrimmage. He beat him with a bit, basically like a juke move and then got multiple yards of separation. And Eli misses the throw. And as the safety's coming over from the Jets, you can see that maybe the safety will make the play after the catch, but I don't think so because if Eli puts that ball in the right spot, Ingram really has the space to turn up field, and then it's just a foot race between him and the safety. So Eli missed that throw for sure. Then people talk, you know, so that was one of his incompletions for sure. He had the three dro- or the two drops, that, and then he had three other incompletions. One was the one was the Latimer red zone pass, which, you know, Latimer couldn't break free of Mo Claiborne, so he's basically just holding his hands, which was legal, um, I think. I don't really know <laughs> if that's pass interference or not. Uh, or you, just real quick, is that pass interference? Uh, just as before I dive back into this. Yeah, no, how, how far down the field was it? No, I'm talking about in the red zone right before halftime when Latimer was trying to break oh. free of Mo Claiborne. I kind of got his hands out. Yeah, that one was almost definitely. I mean, the one thing I like about Latimer is he continues to fight through that and actually makes it look not worse than it was, but it makes a point of it to be, you know, for the flag to come. It doesn't come. Yeah, I, I would call that pass interference for sure. Okay, so we got that play. So that's another incompletion. So now that's four of them. And then two others that, you know, I, I non exist. The point is, he had six incompletions, 17 completions, 188 yards passing yard passing yards people are calling this stagnant i don't know what's going on you know people say that the latimer throw he it was a bad throw okay i get it you know if he leads him that's a touchdown that's true but you know he didn't have the, the, the pocket wasn't perfectly clean there also he made an excellent read to get to go up top there based on the safety was coming down on that crossing over route so i thought that alone was a great play but was a great rebound i thought the bootleg uh the the, the, the play action bootleg where he rolled to his left squared his shoulders and ripped the ball into yep. Shepard, uh, who was kind of kind of led him on the run. I thought that was a great throw. I thought the play you broke down on Twitter to Shepard, the over-the-top pass, basically uh, it was a 30-yard completion um, when Shepard ran kind of a vertical route out of the slot. I thought that was a great throw. That ball literally just dropped right into Shepard's hands. It was a great pass for sure because the coverage was spot on. Perfect, yeah. The defender was like right there as, as Shepard hit the ball. But that ball literally hit Shepard in his hands, on the move, like, in stride. So, to me, Eli had a great game. Uh, is his arm strength perfect? No. Is he, you know, are the deep ball's going to be not perfect? Sure. But to me, that was a really good game. What did you think you saw from What do you think for, about Eli's effort? Well, you know, you definitely kind of have to, you know, reiterate, you know, and, and the other side of it is, and it gets into a kind of a bigger conversation, which if anyone wants to check this piece out at cover1.net, I wrote all about Eli's footwork, and it's kind of like, <laughs> everything you want to hear about Eli's footwork, leaving that for a side of all the details of that piece. Um, the one thing I just did notice and have noticed in the kind of like literally hours of tape study I had last week on him, um, he his left plant foot when it goes when it goes awry when it's not in line with the target when he's not driving to the target that's when he misses his throws and this isn't something that we're talking about in a void the Latimer throw is specifically from that when he throws for the Latimer throw to the end zone I should say so when he throws fades to the left you see him stepping almost stepping in the bucket if you want to use that term he's opening up his hips basically and throwing across his body it's just tough to be inaccurate there so am I criticizing a guy who's 37 years old and is basically a Hall of Famer in my opinion <laughs> you know like I think he knows I think he knows a lot more than I do about this, and he and it's something that he's probably like everyone, like every coach is trying to get someone better at. But he had, despite all these things, he's a professional. He's gonna have a, he had a really good game. So there's a lot, lot, lot more good to talk about than there is bad. Um, the the one thing I would kind of note within the the accuracy thing, his mobility within the accuracy thing was huge. I like the deep balls, despite the the lack of leading Latimer enough. It was it was. Him showing um, on that play specifically, it was him showing, and Dan really brought this up before we before when we were talking. 
Um, him showing the play recognition or the mental processing and pre-snap to pull um, Shane Smith, the fullback, into the backfield and help in their uh, in their protection scheme against the blitzer, the blitzing strong safety that had to come down almost in the box, basically. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing a comfortability with the offense where, you know, Shermer is, is a, it's a it's a rhythm and timing passing attack. I get it. But it does have opportunities that, to be frank, and not to jump into his shit, but Case Keenum didn't really take a ton of advantage of last year. Case Keenum on deep balls was not really that was that great statistically in terms of the more advanced statistics at football outside, outsiders and elsewhere. But what you're seeing is you're seeing Eli being aggressive in that stance too, where when he sees Latimer on a on a Yankee this is as a Yankee concept, and he hits the deep route on a Yankee concept, that's not really how the play is designed necessarily. It's the first read, but it's not the main read. And he he wants to grip it and rip it. Like I say, go for it because it's going to change the dynamic to this to this offense because of the historics that people know where Eli was a quick game, you know, czar, whatever you want to call it, quick game, you know, that's all they had for basically two years. So a nice change there where, yes, it's timing and rhythm, but, you know, Eli's going to, he's going to, they're going to pressure, they will pressure defenses uh, in the intermediate routes for sure. Yeah, and something I really liked about that play, and you just brought it up, is something I brought up before the podcast when I rewatched it. What I liked about that play is so many things about that, about that Latimer big hit from 52 yards or 54 yards. First of all, it's first and 10, and the Giants come out once again, as we talked about on the last podcast, in heavy personnel. They're in 21 personnel with Shane Smith, but Shane Smith's motioned out to start the snap. Shane Smith is, as a wide receiver, uh, on the far right side of the blanket. And then Eli motions him into the backfield where he, where he settles in, where he's coming across line of scrimmage, and Eli gives him a stop, stop, stop signal, like stop, <laughs> in the, stop and, and line up as the fullback. And to me, that's really playing a trick almost with, and this is something I've noticed a lot with Shermer's offensive, with the Shermer's offensive attack. There's a lot of pre-snap motion to kind of throw off the opposing defense. So then the defense, the safety creeps off first of all from the opposite side of the field towards uh, towards where where Ellison's lined up, and then boom, he hits the play-action pass because one, the Giants have been running at a first and ten a, a, a ton of most of the game before that, and most of the preseason before that too. They're in twenty-one personnel, every personnel. They bring the fullback in, so that was just a really cool thing I noted there. And then the other thing I want to talk about real quick since we are just dove into it already, is just on that big hit to Shepard, the 30-yard pass, where he ran that vertical route out of the slot, and you did a great breakdown of that. And by the way, on both of these plays, the Latimer 54-yard completion and the and the Sterling Shepard 30-yard completion, check out Nick's Twitter. You scroll down a little bit, and you'll probably find him. He did two great breakdowns um, of both of these routes. If you want to see how both Latimer won and how Shepard won uh, on these plays. But something I noted, which was interesting about the the Shepard hit, was that Eli, just before the snap, gave Shepard a hand signal. And if you remember last year, Eli and Shepard started to really get the hand signals down. They start to use it before the snap to, like, to see, to, you know, to free stuff up. And then as he's doing that, the safety's creeping down into the box, creeping down into the box. So, so Eli basically reads that the safety's coming down, changes the route with Shepard, has him go vertical, and they connect on a 30-yard pass. So this is the type of stuff that, you know, you don't oh, you don't maybe always hear about, you don't always see, but this is where Eli still has an edge over a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. A lot of the quarterbacks in the NFL won't read that, won't see that, won't make that hand check to his wide receiver, and that 30-yard play is just not happening. The other side of that, too, just to hop on what Dan's saying, is that uh, if you notice, too, Latimer, that was basically a smash concept, so... So Shepard's going, running the deep fade or the deep kind of fade to corner. Um, Latimer stopped and ran that one-step hitch route. And actually a guy on Twitter goes, asked me, he's like, what the hell is he doing? I'm like, that's actually the route. But if you saw the way his attitude was to it, and now you bring up the hand signal, it's kind of clicking for me. And we're going on a little bit on a limb here. But Latimer picked up on that as well. And what Eli was probably saying was, no matter what, I'm throwing to you. Or maybe he checked into it specifically. But whatever it was, Latimer knew he was not getting the ball. <laughs> like that, that was the clear. And so that you're right. That That's very cool stuff where it's like, hey, like, by the way, again, you're going to see that a lot. You're going to see a lot of smash, and 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 the cool thing about that route was again that the defender really defended as good as he could without making the play on the ball. Like they're they're throwing into aggressive coverages where that I guess that was just aggressive man coverage, good man coverage, and they're completing balls huge, huge because the execution there is huge. It's not just the X's and O's. It's these guys getting this down and and being able to execute at the point of attack. Exactly. And by the way, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the Ingram play we referenced earlier, the the, the corner route that Eli just missed that to me would have been a touchdown. That's a, that's a smash route too, isn't it? I mean, if you rewatch the play, the two receivers are running stops and Ingram's running the vertical route. Basically, you'll you'll to be perfect 
because guys will go, no, that's not technically smash. I call that quasi smash. It's the same idea, but like you said, it there's two right. guys. So, there. Okay, so sorry. Let's say I'm not. I'm. I didn't want to get too. Yeah, uh, right. I don't want to get caught up in the terminology. Get called out on Twitter either. Today I had a nice little run in when I tweeted about Josh Allen and, and got Phil's mafia all up in my, in my <laughs> business. But you know, I mean, anything you say bad about that guy is you just get killed for. It. But the point is, regardless of the terminology, it's the same. Like you said, same it's idea, the same concept. It's the two receivers running stop routes and. That keeps the the defenders on them, you know, in in basically. It keeps them lined up close, or you know, sticking with the receivers close to the line of scrimmage, and it allows Engram to get deep. So I also wanted to dive into a few other plays uh, where I saw some interesting formations and just different looks that really intrigued me. So the second play of the game, right after the Giants had, um, right after the Giants had ran first down with Jonathan Stewart for no yards. Um, they ran. At, they came in very similar formation as the first play. It was twelve personnel again with Ingram and Ellison, but this time it was really an interesting formation with they where they were all lined up tight to the right, right off the line of scrimmage, and kind of like a, a I don't know the exact terminology. It was almost like they were lined up in a triangle. So it was like the and Ellison, who was the closest to the line of scrimmage, was lined up where an inline tight end would line up, but he was but he was in the backfield, so almost as like an H back. And what happened is. You could break this down, but the key to this play, and this play was a play-action pass where Eli hit uh, Evan Ingram for what ended up being a 15-yard gain on an over-route over the middle. And what the, the key to this play, the only reason this play even happened is because Shermer, something, again, Ben McAdoo never, didn't never do, but very rarely did, used his tight end in pass protection, and Ellison on the play blocks the backside uh, penetration from the Jets' outside linebacker. The rest of the offensive line slides to the left, mm-hmm. and the play's blocked up for long enough where he can hit Ingram. And did you is that is that kind of on point with, with what you saw? Well, my notes <laughs> say half, half gap slide left, PA, and I'm grading. <laughs> yeah, you're right on. <laughs> check, check that box. <laughs> okay, and actually that... Just to be fair, guys, I actually did talk to Nick about that play before this, but I just wanted to make sure I got it down. <laughs> but point is, it's a really interesting protection, and it's a really interesting play because you slide the, the line to the left, and then that way you take away Eric Flowers having to block on an island. That's what Nick pointed out, and it's such a good point. Instead, you have Ellison blocking on an island, which doesn't seem, you know, it's not the ideal situation because he could get overwhelmed. He's only a tight end, but he... He does a pretty damn good job against the outside linebacker there. You know, at the end, if you rewatch the play, the linebacker is close to Eli when he releases the pass, but he gave, but Elson gave him just enough time to get that ball to Ingram, and there was a big completion there. And then a couple other plays I wanted to dive into and then get Nick's thoughts on. So we fast-forward a couple drives. So basically we go to the drive after the one where Eli hit uh, Latimer for the 54-yard gain and then Jonathan Stewart fumbled. We get into a first, a second and eight situation right after Wayne Gallman went up the middle for two at a shotgun, um, at an 11 personnel shotgun. So it wasn't really a great play. The blocking wasn't great. We get into a play on play action on second and eight, where I really think the reason this play happens is because Shepard gets the free release because the eight, the Jets have eight players in the box on this play, which I found interesting. And on the snap, because the Giants were running the ball so often, it's a play action pass, and they fake the handoff to Gallman, who runs to the right to the outside, basically like an I guess it would be like an outside run, an outside zone. Mm-hmm. And the and the and the defender who's matched up in man coverage against Sterling Shepard here is follows Gallman on the run. So he he goes with Gallman. And so Shepard has the free release, runs that same over route, Manning comes off the bootleg, turns, plants his foot, and delivers the football. And basically Shepard is has so much space because of the play action pass, because on the on the fake handoff all of the linebackers get sucked up into it, so that creates a little void behind the linebackers in front of the safeties. The defender who was lined up across from Sterling Shepard follows Ballman. So Shepard's really, like, this play to me is, is something they can look back on and see as a big success and really hard to defend unless the defense doesn't believe in the play action because, really, if you're not going to play, if you're going to play, I guess it was technically a zone cover. I don't know what, you know the play I'm referring to and what, what you saw from the Specifically, I didn't break that one down, but, okay. I mean, but I, I'm envisioning what it is. And yeah, no, it's hard because basically they, these guys have to play run first. They're never not going to. It's all about their change in direction and ability to kind of quickly move 
back to pass as, as quickly as right. they can. And so that's what you're playing against. And yeah, the windows are often small and people complain like, oh, that, that doesn't always happen that way. It's like, yeah, but you're getting the guy to think about it, number one. And number two, he's not just he's not just sticking to a guy in man coverage or going back to his zone and sitting down and watching the quarterback's eyes. It's more exactly. it's more of a that's dance. <laughs> it, and that's the key right there, Nick, because all last year they were just sitting back in the zone right off the snap, these linebackers, dropping back, reading the quarterback here they can't do that they're you you know you watch these plays they're getting sucked up in the play actually not every play but some of the plays they really are and like you said they're not dropping into the zone and watching eli comes off there plants his foot squares his shoulder he's one of my favorite throws the whole game by eli and hits the pass then right after that which i thought was so cool back-to-back plays the giants are in the, the, my favorite formation of the entire game they're in 12 personnel or i believe it was 11 personnel here with the power pistol so that's basically they're lined up in the pistol formation. This was their first usage of it, which, for those who don't know, it's the quarterback and shotgun and the running back lined off. Or you, can you tell? Can you break down pistol real quick? Yeah, yeah. So the, the quarterback's at roughly three yards, anywhere between two and three yards. He's like in a mini shotgun, and you have a running back and usually right. it's seven to eight directly behind him. And when uh, when Dan's referring to power pistol, that's basically like a fullback at the mid range level, at the H back level, near the quarterback on either side. And uh, usually kind of a, you want to say it's kind of a spread look. It kind of is, it, but it's, it does a few things. It gives you the benefits of shotgun. The quarterback gets to see things, and it also sets the, the running back back at eight yards, which many running backs really like that. They don't like to run from five yards. Right, and exactly. And then what was cool to me about this play is that they have Ingram lined up in that fullback, H-back type position that we're talking about, the power position. And really, though, it's 11 personnel, so there's only six, got, uh, six Giants players intending to block here, but the Jets have seven defenders in the box. I found this so interesting because once the Giants ran this play-action pass off of this uh, with the six defenders in the box, they had an advantage immediately in the passing game, and they hit Shepard here for... Oh, man, I just lost my spot in here. They hit Shepard here for a 20-yard gain here um, right off of this power pistol, and they have such an advantage to me, which I found interesting because, again, they have... and The Jets have an extra guy in the, in the box trying to defend the run. Again, it's a first-down play and remember, the Giants have been running so often on first down that the defenses are really, at this point, keeping them honest and believing that it could happen. And and I just thought that play was cool. Did what you did you think that? What do you think about that play? And again, just the same type of route. It's just kind of an over route with Shepard out of the slot. He has pre-release, um, gets over the middle, and the safety doesn't get there in time. And there's a ton of space on this play. I just threw it back. I mean, the linebackers all get sucked up into this play action. The thing I think is kind of cool about the way Shermer does this is what we're talking about is not super complex. You're not talking about crazy right. things going on. It's just it's pre-snap doing as much as you can, doing all the heavy lifting so that your quarterback can then process things quickly and then be an athlete. And that's what you constantly saw. Whether It doesn't matter who it is, too. Like you see Web, like Webb's running the same offense. They're not changing, obviously, right. as they go down the line here. So you're seeing the same things for him. And you know, they're putting these guys, I would say, I think they pushed the ball a little bit farther downfield than I was kind of noting. And, and doing it in all my previews and talking about all my previews. But besides that, it's, it's very simplistic things that the routes are not crazy. You know, the routes are not, you know, they're not, it's not, it's not, it's not overly complex. It's just very, very good fundamentally. And they're letting their athletes play. Yep. And then I just wanted to touch on one more play and then we can dive into a different topic. Um, and this was, it was, it wasn't a crazy play. It was a five yard gain on a run by Gallman. But I thought the play was so interesting because first of all, the Giants did not have much success in the run game against this Jets front. And let's not forget, this They're is good. a really, really good <laughs> Jets defensive front. People don't realize, like, they were good, they've been great against the run for a long time, and Todd Bowles has been really good as far as defensive scheme, like, as far as his defensive scheme goes against the run throughout his entire career as both a head coach and as a defensive coordinator. So you got to keep that in mind when you consider how poorly the Giants ran the football. But this is a five-yard run by Gallman, and I thought it was such an interesting play because uh, it's it's a design cutback where, where uh Gallman essentially is handed the ball left and then cuts back immediately to the right. But the wide receiver comes in motion. The, the, the wide receiver, it's at 12, and the wide receiver comes in motion from the left side of the screen, from the split end, and then kind of towards the line of scrimmage and then at the snap runs across the line of scrimmage and tries to make basically a, a seal-off backside pressure. I guess it's pressure coming from the from – the, from, it's hard to say because Gallman's cutting back. So he runs across the formation – in front of Gall- uh, in front of Gallman, and as Gallman cuts back, he's kind of blocking the edge there. And on this play, Gallman kind of had a lot of space, but it had a lot to do with that. I just found the backside block inching, but also on this, I thought it was a really good job by Jalapio and Flowers on this one to create that little bit of a crease 
Um, and then I saw a play similar to that, not exactly that, earlier in the game where he almost had a crease, Gallman. He had a crease where he could have hit it, but it was a similar type play, but the backside pressure actually got, the backside penetration actually got to him. Latimer missed the block that he should have made when he motioned back towards the line of scrimmage, and, and the defender dove at Gallman's feet and kind of tripped him up before he could get to that crease and that it closed up. Um, but I just thought it was interesting to watch that that kind of pre-snap motion with the wide receiver working back toward the line of scrimmage to be a part of the blocking game at the line of scrimmage rather than just against defensive backs. Yeah, that's uh, that that's called split zone um, within the rushing scheme. So the 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 um, the wide receiver, like Dan's saying, is is stealing the backside edge rusher if he's there. If not, he folds up and basically goes to the second level. And when if he's folding up at that point, that means that. It's probably a flowback design, like Dan's saying, with a quick cutback, and that's where the running back is almost ends up, you know, ends up like following him. Uh, but it totally depends on what the what they're running and out of, and and who they're going up against, and all that type of stuff. But yeah, the what what you're seeing is I think you're seeing an, an opportunistic run offense, but specifically for split zone. Um, Shermer's running everyone through that. He wants to see who he can get. I definitely had Sterling. Sterling Shepard like is okay at it. He's not super, you know, willing to sacrifice his body. I'm not calling him out, but he's just he's not a great blocker for that right. block. You know, Russell Shepard really good at it. Ran it a lot in Carolina. Latimer, like you said, you know, didn't really do his job there, but he's willing to do like a little more willing physically to get in that. And and so you're he's they're definitely going through the evaluation process there because it's something that Shermer ran a lot. I've broken this down a billion times on Twitter. If I, people are like, oh yeah, we, we get it, um, but Stefan Diggs ran it often, and he did a really good job on there. And what they also awful also do from there is you know when the when they run the play action, they let him keep on sifting and going through to the to the front side, and he's in the flat immediately. So all that type of stuff is all good, very simple stuff, and you'll see a lot of that this year. A lot of this year. By the way, there wasn't, I would say their passing attack was very vanilla, straightforward, stuff that you're going to see, but vanilla. Their running game was mostly what you will see. Shermer is not an outside zone-based West Coast attack. People want to say that. He's not. He runs a lot of duo, and he runs a lot of inside zone. And so that's what you saw. That's what you've seen. And so it gets a little predictable in some ways because they they run a. It's not as evolved as other rushing attacks are in terms of overall schematics. Um, but they're going to run that plus a bunch of power schemes, and that's kind of the rushing attack. It's multiple, but it's not crazily you know like like what they have going down in Baltimore or Philadelphia where they're doing a lot of different things. Uh, so on the running attack, you, what you're seeing is what you're getting here, and they're looking to get better at executing. It's not. It, you're not going to see a crazy overlay of schemes. Yeah, and that's kind of – you said a few things I want to jump into there that I like. First of all, that's exactly what Schirmer said when he came in and got the job. He said, I'm not – you know, he – and a lot of NFL coaches have success by not trying to go crazy. Bruce Arian said it best. He said, I don't need to – you know, I don't watch all these other teams and try to steal their plays because I don't need to throw in that many plays. I just want to do – you know, he he has the plays that work and he runs it and he runs and he has – you know, he has his select few that works and that's his team. But also something I want to jump into, which was even more important that, that you noted, was this. Once they start lulling teams into thinking that that you know the receiver coming across the formation to block is what he's is coming across the formation is the block, boom, they're going to hit a play action like you said. That receiver's going to leak out into flat. That receiver's going to be Shepard or Beckham, who are both great after the catch. Beckham even better, obviously, and that's going to turn into a huge play because the linebackers or the safety whoever's on that backside is going to come up and they're going to play the run because they've been lulling them into the into the run all game, and then. Um, was I'm sorry. Uh, now I forgot. I, I was too excited about about, yeah, <laughs> about that point. It happens to Dan a lot. <laughs> thing you, point you made about that. Oh, about Shermer. Yeah, Shermer even said it last week. He said, "Listen, we're going to show most of what we're going to do in the run game this week <laughs> against the Jets." I said, "Are you going to game plan?" He said, "We're going run game wise, yes, but not pass game wise." So think about that. And Nick just made this point. If that's a vanilla passing attack for the Giants, all I got to say is, "Wow, I get it. It was vanilla. Like they pretty much just continuously hit over routes." For the most part, you know, like off the play action pass, except for that Latimer yeah. hit, and then the Shepherd and the Sterling Shepherd thirty yard pass we talked about was kind of a check by Eli Manning when he saw the safety. But wow, if that's a vanilla scheme without Odell Beckham Jr. and with Hunter Sharp in the game, who literally is not going to play that many, he should not play any snaps in the regular season at the wide receiver position. Then you should really be excited about what the Giants' passing game showed because this is nothing like we saw last preseason with Ben McAdoo, nothing like we saw the preseason before with Ben McAdoo. Nothing like we saw last regular season and nothing like we saw during the 2016 regular season. You know, everybody wants to say it's the it's the preseason, it's vanilla. So last year I'm saying with Mac, it's the preseason, it's vanilla. Who cares that they're not doing well? Well, this is the preseason again. The Giants are going vanilla with their game plan in the passing game, and it's working now. 
188 yards passing in one half. So that's just something interesting I want to point out. And, Nick, I wanted to kind of open the floor to you. I'm going to kind of – I have one segment I wanted to kind of debut on the show, kind of a stock up, stock down, more of like a rapid fire where we'll go back and forth. But before we did that, is there anyone else you did kind of extensive work on film-wise that you wanted to dive into that you didn't get a chance to yet? Let's uh, let's see. Personnel-wise can go a lot of different ways. We just make one last thing on the uh, on the schematics just because you brought it up kind of really interestingly in a way that people probably aren't looking at the game um when you were counting the guys in the box uh that that was a that's a big take because what you are seeing the giants run more and again i'm not searching for seo like points here but they are running a a higher number of rpo not higher but a, a little bit of rpos in this vanilla passing game that they are showing they ran on the 14th play they ran a duo comboed with a bubble slant on the right side so just a running option with a pass tag to it. The bubble slant was actually something that... Mac- and what was this play, Nick? Before we, the play was the, the 14th play. What, what was the actual play? Uh, they ran duo to the left, I believe. So duo is a man-blocking scheme where uh, there's there's hopefully two double teams, depending on the front. Um, when they ran the ball, they liked it to run the ball. And the backside was a bubble slant run where the slot receiver was twins. And the, okay. slot, and the slot receiver ran a, uh, a bubble route to just kind of move sideways and looks back in the, for the quarterback. And instead of the, um, the wide receiver blocking for him, the other one on the outside, he runs a slant. It's actually uh, something that McAdoo ran a fair amount last year, uh, interestingly enough. A bunch of guys run this. Yeah, you um, got to be careful when you say the word slant because it gives some some giant fans, <laughs> post, you know. <laughs> right, right. So it was right, but it's just one. It's it, it's totally interesting to see this though because the way you can read that and the way that read goes is you're reading a defender and 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 going off of him and that was a genuine RPO and you can do pre snap RPOs and post snap RPOs and the pre snap comes into how many guys are down there. Uh, it's how many, how many, how they sink their safeties, basically their defensive backs or their second tier linebackers. How they handle that that action towards the line of scrimmage and keep positive gap discipline. And the reason why I'm bringing all this up because it's not like rocket science, but you have a guy that like Saquon Barkley who's a rookie, and you're going to want to put him in good positions, and that's what RPO is going to do. And people think it it means you need to have a mobile quarterback. It needs you don't need that. You this will help a rookie though by giving him a numbers advantage. The same, very similar to how Dan explained it, a numbers advantage where when you run inside zone to the left of the weak side, you basically have three on two. And then that means he's one-on-one with a guy who he may, he won't see until the second level. That guy's going to win that. And we haven't even yeah. seen that. <laughs> so when that guy Saquon Barkley. Ex- exactly. That's what I'm saying. That, especially when that guy Saquon Barkley. Or even when it's Wayne Gallman. Because guess what? Right. He can win too. So I'm liking what I'm seeing by reading through the lines and picking out some stuff that is... Again, it's not flashy, but it's stuff that's going to put their their good good players in position where it's not going to be just line them up in twenty one personnel, run inside zone force with Shane Smith trying to secure that you know help them secure that bounce lane. It's not going to be that. They're not going to pound. They're not going to do things where it's like oh my god they're doing this again. He's he, he with and I think this may come from Shula's influence. They're going to set some things up where it's going to be not spread but spread ish on some levels to help Barkley in put him in the best position. Yep, and, and I think that's exactly right. Um, is there anyone else you want to dive into before I kind of dive into just kind of what I saw from just a stock up, stock down standpoint? No, no, I'm good. The only thing I will say, though, is just if people want specific things, they like we're, we're pretty responsive on Twitter, so if anyone wanted anything specifically, definitely ask us away, but I'm good for right now. Yeah, as we get going, guys, because I have been trying to make this a point, for the next podcast even, I'm going to try to do this, I'm going to try to go to Twitter, so be on the lookout. I'm going to ask for your questions. I think this show will work even better if it's a little bit more interactive. Right. You guys, let's answer your questions. We'll do you know as long or as little as we need for a segment to just answer questions. But one thing I did want to point out, because I did say you know, I, on Twitter after the game, I thought Curtis Riley was okay just from the standpoint that you know wasn't any big passing plays, uh, wasn't too many big passing plays let up, and also you know didn't hear his name called. But someone said you know he took a really – Poor angle on the <laughs> touchdown run by Bilal Powell. Is that true, Nick, when you look back at it? I mean, when I watch it, I could, you could see that. But, you know, I want to know from your standpoint, from somebody who watches a lot more game tape than me and maybe some other people who made that observation, 
what you saw on that. Yeah, yeah, the, he he did take a poor angle. He was kind of the one guy who had the angle, who had who had the best way to stop it from being a touchdown. When I say best, meaning because everyone else was blocked, no one else was getting off their blocks. The center made a great block on the whoever the interior linebacker was, and I don't have the play in, up in front of me, but they they th- there was some weaknesses there, and it wasn't just B.W. Webb. A lot of guys are jumping on his rushing, basically his rush defense in the alley, and yeah, he's the force player on that side, and it's a weak side run. And when I'm saying all this, it's like I'm saying because there's other players involved that have to help. You know, it's, it, you can't blame the guy at the second level who's got to make the great play. Did he need to get off that block better? Yes, but he's not. I would not call him a you know a, you know a real issue in in the in run defense. So there was a lot to that play, and there was lots of that hole. That first drive, that defense was not. They were not firing off their gaps. Their gap discipline, to be frank, sucked. And I'm sure Betcher let them know that because Betcher was playing his ex coach in uh, in bowls, and and they got kind of they got kind of handled that first drive. So um, you know, definitely something needs to be improved. Yeah, and by the way, guys, after that first drive, they pretty much shut it down. Right. The Jets had that red zone touchdown with Terrell Pryor, but that was based on a turnover, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, So, you know, it was after that, especially in the run game, the Giants completely shut down the Jets' run game after that. And and there was even that series where Darnold went against the Giants' second-game defense and went three and out. Uh, uh, Just a couple guys I want to touch on real quick. We'll stop stop up, stop down. We won't touch on the guys we touched on already, like Omen and Eli, but I thought... um, Stock definitely down for Jonathan Stewart. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. we touched a little on that, so we won't get back into that. Um, don't want to beat a dead horse there. But stock up for Nate Solder. I mean, Nate Solder had a better game against the Lions in the first game, but he had a really good game from my vantage point when I rewatched this. What did you think you saw? Do you see anything that stood out from Solder? I thought he was excellent uh, in this game. Yeah, I thought they. Uh, I thought they had. I thought they, that left side line played very well. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. And you know, maybe a couple knocks on Hernandez just for some recognition things, but not really. Like the left side of the line is shoring up nicely. Yeah, for sure. And again, like we don't want to go to. We don't want to. Yeah. Uh, uh, PFF or whatever their for their word, even though you know I love I love PFF, I work for them. But they credited uh, Nate Soldier with having allowed no pressures, not a single quarterback hurry, hit, or sack on 24 pass blocking snaps. That's pretty damn good, if you ask me. Uh, I'm going to give a stock up to Shep Sterling Shepard. We talked about that. I'm going to give a stock down to Hunter Sharp. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the special teams plays big, and that might end up actually being the deciding factor in making the roster over Cleve Raymond. Um, but, you know, those two drops are unacceptable to me. You're getting this opportunity with Eli Manning in the first-team offense. The first one wasn't the perfect throw, but it hit you right in the hands. The second one was an unbelievable and un- a drop you just can't make. It's You know, it could, it could ruin a game, in my opinion. I'm going to give a stock up to Ray Ray Armstrong, your boy, Nick. Um, <laughs> Armstrong with fucking two great plays on special teams. The first one, or the second one, everyone saw when he forced the fumble on the kickoff that the Giants uh, tight end Drell Adams recovered. But, you know, you actually pointed out the, on the you you tell tell them where you saw you know the the, the, block, the key block he made on a play that I actually didn't even see. Yeah, if you search my my uh, team manic twenty one and and the hashtag be the hammer, um, it'll <laughs> it'll figure right to this play where he's part of the wall on the right side and there was a guy who was engaged. I didn't see who it was and I only gave the crappy all twenty two version that the announcer was breaking down after the fact, but he absolutely rails this guy in a perfectly clean hit and I didn't realize that. Again, this guy's a real thumper, and he has that, and he has that ability. And it's like, yeah, in space, he's a safety that's going to come hit you. You know, he just happens to be a linebacker now with twenty pads added to him. You know, so like that's who we, that's who's there, and a super athletic play in space. Didn't necessarily spring the runner, but helped um, help secure that wall. Yeah, and you know, he's making an impact on special teams. He's making an impact on defense when he's playing, and he's got a shout out after the game. Pat Shermer said he's really caught our eye and he was really he said I'm really happy you asked. We wanted to talk about him. So this is a guy who went from maybe not making expected not to make the roster now to pretty much a roster lock. Mm. Um, I'm gonna give stock up to Olivier Vernon. Another game, another three pressures from him on limited snap rushing the passer. Uh, he was all over the place. I just think he's gonna be a beast in the scheme. Now Vernon went down in space practice with an ankle injury and he was carted off. The x-rays were negative. Um, he made made it seem like it's not going to be a big deal, but we're going to have to wait for the MRI. And bigger issue to me is just, you know, he had those ankle injuries all last season, and that's why his play was weighed down. So I hope it's not that same ankle. We don't know. I hope it's not going to be a nagging injury because Vernon has looked unbelievable in this scheme, and they need him. They 100% need him to be fully healthy and ready to go. Um, and then I'll give a stock down to Chris Lewis-Harris. Um, yeah. You know, here's a guy who's, what came into training camp as potentially the number three or four cornerback. That's how you know 
deep weak they were weak they are at that position um and he was buried with the third second third team defense in this game really struggled in coverage so I don't think he's going to make the roster. I'm going to give a stock up to Will Hernandez, and I'll ask you what you thought. I thought I saw some definite improvement from Hernandez. in each. What I like that about Hernandez is, is that I think he's improved in each of his three games. I thought he was he had his worst game against the Browns, he, was, he, he improved against the Lions, and then he had his best game against the Jets. What do you think there with Hernandez? Uh, yeah, no, he definitely, you're definitely seeing more of the angry finish that I talked about in terms of stuff that I'm looking for. Where I'm actually failing in the notes is where I had him just for a recognition thing, I think, and I don't want to speak about it without knowing about it, without having it directly in front of me. It's one of those things where overall you're you're seeing him being very comfortable, and he had a lot of one-on-one blocks and pass protection that they absolutely did what it did very well. That whole drive in the second quarter um, where they went down the field and basically didn't score, that drive, the line looked awesome. I mean, they're, yeah. they're like, and so across the board, I'm not sorry. No, it's a, it's a rapid fire, but like, you know, these guys are, they're, they're doing their jobs on that side and, and the drives are, are coming there. Just got to put it all together. And, and so, yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, definitely a good work in progress for him. And I'm going to give a stop down to Eli Apple at some point, you know, maybe we got to decide that this light won't click on for Apple. We read in training camp that all his teammates were saying he's just been so much more improved with his awareness, his spatial awareness personally i'm not seeing that you know it just seems like he doesn't know how to locate the ball in bass coverage very well um and that's interesting because of how he was coached at ohio state the way those defense backs are coached and a lot of defense backs who come out of ohio state have had a lot of success in the nfl so it's really disappointing i don't know i'm not writing him off i'm not giving up on him but I, I think the stock's definitely down there. Did you did you see anything different? Yeah, so we got we actually got a question on Twitter um, for that, and and you know I'm a little higher than Dan. Um, you know I still like his shadow ability in in man coverage for that first one to four yards of the route, um, and man coverage across the ball. I understand what people are saying about overall with the ball skills. Um, I just didn't see a ton of reps, and to be totally frank, I didn't study him yeah. every play. But what I did see, I got a couple notes here, in zone is what Dan's kind of alluding to. And I saw him on one, we're on a medium-sized out route in the red zone. He got turned around on a simple out route, wasn't that confusing. Again, not trying to jump on the guy, but that's something where he doesn't have the speed to recover, to, to, to have those type of basically mental mistakes. And another one where he fell down. He's not a quick twitch guy. He's not going to be in zone. He's not going to jump, jump anything in terms of it. Not jump anything, but he's not going to have that ability to break on the ball very, very quickly. And he kind of stumbled on one on a completion where he ended up making the tackle. But it's something where you, he's not his his footwork is not to the point where it's helping him recover from these positions in zone. Um, so because a lot of guys do do that where they have mental lapses, they do all types of bad things, but then they have unbelievable foot skills and great hands. It doesn't matter. Right. And just, right. So you're not seeing that with him where it's like, Hey, like he's overwhelming in that way. And, and I think that the, the benefit to that though, and just real quickly go through it, like most, even if it's okay, if it's cover one or cover three zone, sorry, cover three zone, not cover one, obviously um, in cover three zone, if he's covering a wide receiver outside the numbers, that almost always defaults to boundary lock, meaning he has him in man. So it's not something where they can set the versus most of the offenses they face that don't bunch. He's gonna he he could basically have quasi man coverage for most of the game anyway. So I think he's in his strength. That's why I'm not super doubting of him or, or down on him for per se. Um, and and but overall, yeah, you you want to see more improvement in some of these areas, and, and we'll see if we get them from the reps. Yeah, and that's a good point, especially because you know it still hasn't been that many reps for him. But what ha- what did you think happened on the play where it kind of? The ball got out there to me pretty slow, even when I rewatch it today. And Darnold's pass, um, what kind of just got over the hands of Cream Martin into uh, into the hands of wide receiver Robbie Anderson. And a- Apple seemed a few yards off the ball. There was that just a- a- an example of what you're talking about with the zone coverage? Yeah, that's what I would chalk it up to. And it's one of those things where it's just you know you're not seeing the uh, like I said the, the, the quick twitch where the guys love to use that term where it's like hey. He, he's sitting back in zone, and the second the ball's out of the quarterback's hands, the guy's moving forward. He's not, he seems to be not that type of player in, in, the, in recent years. And, you know, like you said, the Ohio State background, a lot of success. Like guys love those defensive backs. They, they usually are super physical, both run and pass. Um, you know, he def, I think he flashes it at times. And he, the consistency and the zone play are the two biggest issues for him. Fair enough. Um, I'm going to give a stock up to Cody Latimer. We kind of broke down him already. Uh, in this podcast, stuck down Gerald Adams. I mean, he had a chance to really make an impact with extended snaps once both Ellison and Ingram left the game with injuries, and I just didn't see it from him, um, both as a receiver and more, even more so as a blocker. So, you know, I think he's yeah, he really hasn't 
but it hasn't. The light hasn't come on for him like I thought it would this year. I'll give. Oh, you know, Brett Jones was actually traded about an hour before we did this. We started this podcast. Traded to the Vikings for a seventh round pick. Um, Giants really need to free up some salary cap space. They'll get back two point nine million. Now they have about four million in salary cap space. They and that just goes to show how little they had before making this trade. Um, they only got a seventh rounder back, but. In addition to also the freed up cap space, and John Schmelk actually pointed this out, uh, Giants.com John Schmelk is a good point. Um, this will allow them to uh, potentially make a trade, trade because remember, they traded their seventh rounder for next year for Riley Dixon, the punter from the Broncos. So now they have some ammo if they want to make a trade like they did just before the start of last season when they traded a seventh rounder uh, from this year, the next year at that, at that time, seventh rounder. For a cornerback, Ross Cockrell from the Steelers, who ended up playing a really big role for the Giants and was actually really uh, productive for the Giants. Obviously, he suffered a, a, a gruesome injury uh, with the Panthers after signing there. This training, uh, actually, it was earlier in OTAs, which you, you got to feel horrible for him for. But the point is, they made a trade and were able to get a cornerback, and that's something that they might be considering around cuts now uh, with this additional seventh rounder in play. Um, and then I'm going to give a stock down to Chad Wheeler, man. I mean, this, is a, this guy is just... It, I mean, what do you think about Chad Wheeler? <laughs> I, I, I don't like what I've seen. Yeah, you know, guys have asked me to take a look at Becton, and I have not looked at either of them in depth, uh, just in terms of like like what I did with Omeme where I'm breaking down every right. play. But what I, you know, what you are seeing, what does flash is, yeah, there are times where there are clear whiffs. Um, and, you know, that's not good. And I do think that there is a pretty good drop-off down to the second level. So is the swing tackle, is that is that where they'll go in terms of free agency? Maybe. And again, so I know people do like Becton. You know, is that is he done enough? I'll, I'll, I'll take a look there and see. Uh, but just something that they have to basically, I really need to shore it up because it's just the NFL with, with injuries and the way the, the, the league goes, where the year's going to go. They, they need more bodies there. Yep. And, you know, I, if definitely if you get a chance, take a look at Becton because Becton's actually earning really, really good grades in pro football folks, especially in that game. He was one of their highest graded players. So yeah. I'm intrigued by what you think about the about Becton from last game. And then just to wrap this up with one more guy I wanted to touch on for a stock up, I'm going to give it to Dalvin Tomlinson. I thought Tomlinson played excellent in this game, um, really especially against the run where he was winning his battles up front consistently. Um, so that's my last point for this. That's my last stock up, stock down. Did you want to touch on anything else that we didn't miss? I know we hit a ton of stuff today on this podcast <laughs> before we sign this off. Yeah, no, I think we're good. We're eclipsing an hour, which will make it the longest, which I like. But no, uh, no, don't. Uh, I'm good. A um, lot more notes to take. One more game, like you said, it's going to be mostly a. Uh, and for the preseason game, it's going to be mostly a uh, you know a, a number two, a twos and threes kind of exhibition. Um, and we'll definitely get. Uh, we'll start looking towards Jacksonville as well. Yep. All right. Well. On that note, guys, you know where to find us on Twitter if you want to continue the conversation. I am going to put something out this week, like I said, uh, or at least prior to our next podcast, asking for your guys' questions so we can answer them on the show. Again, if you do enjoy the show, please, please, please do us the one favor of subscribing to it on iTunes. Uh, give it a rating. Uh, download it. And that's all we ask out of you if you do enjoy the show. Um, and on that note, as I like to always end this thing, go Giants. Go Giants.